Welcome to the You Are Not A Frog summer replays. Over the summer, I've decided to smoke what I'm selling and take a proper break. So I'm re-releasing some of our earlier podcast episodes recorded pre-COVID and I think they're perfect for a listen to help you reflect and reset before a busy autumn. We'll post links to the original show notes site where you can find out more. So please take some time to look after you this summer. And we'll be back and raring to go in September with loads of new guests and some old favourites. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Now, I'm so glad that I can share this episode with you. Jane Gunn is an ex-lawyer, she's a mediator, she's a trainer, and she's a real expert in resolving conflicts in the workplace. And conflicts is one of those things that we all hate, don't we? We get very, very anxious about it. And I think it causes us some of the sort of highest levels of stress, whether it be conflict with with a partner, uh, or a work colleague, um, a, a team member, or even conflict at home. Even conflict with the children is, is really upsetting. And we don't tend to deal with this very well at all. So I wanted to ask Jane about how we can get used to doing it better. And more to the point, how can we conflict well early so that we're not delaying it and it's not building up into a massive thing that we then need to get externals and mediators in to sort out. So I hope it's helpful to you. I certainly found it really interesting speaking to Jane. Here it is. So it's great to have with me on the podcast today, Jane Gunn. Now, Jane, you're often known as the corporate peacemaker. Is that right? Yeah, corporate peacemaker. Corporate peacemaker. Why is that? I've got two stories around that. Well, I, I wrote an article years ago for the Financial Times, and it was about my work in conflict management. They gave it the title, The Corporate Peacemaker, and I ah. thought, I'm having that. And then actually, one day I was going to work at a hospital, actually, and as they were registering me, they said, um, they looked at my business card, and because of the context, they got it wrong and wrote me down as the corporate pacemaker. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's not quite so good. Just shows you what your mind does when you're in a different setting. So Jane, you work a lot in the area of conflict management. And I know you work a lot with doctors, in GP surgeries, in other partnerships. And I know you worked with the Practice Managers Association, I guess, to try and bring people together where there is conflict. Yes. And, and, you know, sometimes people don't like this term conflict, that it makes them think of war and, you know, and disputes. But really, all of us are dealing with conflict all the time in our lives. And, and I define it quite simply, particularly in our personal relationships, as a conversation that didn't happen or didn't happen very well. And therefore, we created tension 
and our happiness in a relationship. And if we don't deal with that, it tends to escalate and get worse. And then you, you, know, you can start creating atmospheres in the workplace and people not speaking to each other and, and so on. So it's a simple thing which happens to most of us you know, during our everyday lives. And we just need to have strategies for dealing with it rather than denying it. <laughs> I don't think I know anybody who doesn't avoid conflict or who likes no. it. Most of us hate it and therefore, and we don't feel confident dealing with it. Uh, and so we often put off dealing with it to our detriment, really. Yeah. So, so I'm all about exploring the magic of conflict. You know, why is it a good thing? And why should we be embracing it in our workplace and in our lives? Because otherwise we're going to end up creating havoc, really. <laughs> yeah. That's so true because whenever I do my resilience training courses or I go into practices, people are always asking about conflict because people know they need to have a conflict or there's something going on, but they've just been putting it off. Yes, absolutely. And I, I met someone recently who was in an NHS role and she'd had an ongoing conflict with another member of her team. And she said to me, this has been rumbling on for about three years. Oh. And that's not uncommon, actually, Rachel, for people to sit on things that long and think, well, I don't quite know in the context of my work what to do about the situation. I don't, you know, it's not a formal complaint. It's not something I want to lodge a grievance about. But every day I come into work and I don't feel happy. You know, I have this feeling in the pit of my stomach or, you know, I'm not really getting on with my colleague. And, and that can go on for, as I say, weeks, months and even years. Yes, and it causes a huge amount of stress. I, I once had this patient and uh, she came in and she said, oh, doctor, you've just got to sign me off sick from work. I said, well, OK, what's the problem? She said, I don't like the person I sit next to. And I, initially I thought, well, I'm not signing off for that. And then I talked to her a bit more and I realised that this was causing her a huge amount of stress, that the conflict between them, it was just a miserable for her. It is. If you imagine living with that degree of tension in your body and in your mind for eight hours, 10 hours a day, you know, that's a, it's actually a huge thing. So I think we underplay what conflict is. We tend to think that we ought to just have naturally be able to deal with it. And therefore, we don't have any strategies. So I'm all about people and particularly sort of organisations or businesses or partnerships having actual strategies, having a plan to say, you know, this is a thing, this is something we have to deal with. And here is our strategy, here is our plan for dealing with it. It's okay to talk about these things. I and mean, it's not encouraging people to whine. Yeah. <laughs> but it is saying you've got to draw a line, but it is saying, you know, if there's genuinely things that are not right, let's raise them early and decide how to move forward. Yes, yeah, so I guess that's the thing for most people, isn't it? How do you have a conflict without it descending into just whining or a complete bun fight. And I guess when I'm thinking, why are we so frightened of conflict? I guess it's because of what it does to us in, in the moment. It's quite scary. You don't want to upset people. But I, I guess it's bad conflict that we're frightened of, isn't it? Not good conflict. Yeah, so we're afraid of our reaction. We're afraid that the way we'll address it, the words that will come out of our mouth or the sort of way we'll approach the other person will be will come across as negative or aggressive, which often it does. So we're quite rightly afraid of that. And then we're afraid what will their response be. And often in the workplace, we're actually afraid of will we be putting our job on the line? You know, will we actually make things worse rather than better? 
I mean, I actually was working in a partnership, not a not a GP partnership, but it might well have been the other day where several partners had fallen out with each other and one had taken the step of writing a letter to another partner. And actually, you know, then the tone of that letter had been perceived as, you know, not not conducive to their relationship and so that had made things worse so by leaving it and leaving it leaving it and then pouring everything out in a wrongly worded letter or email it had actually escalated the conflict made it worse rather than saying could we sit down and talk about these things I'm not happy about I guess that's the natural human reaction isn't it to either deny that there's anything going on and then to delay dealing with it and I know that you said you've been running some training on this so can you just talk a little bit about why we do that and actually what the consequences are when we do that I think we deny it well we all deny a lot of things I think you know all of us like to feel that we're in control of our lives don't we and you know life's so complicated that the more we can be in control of our daily lives the better we feel so when something like that you know that we are fearful of that we don't know how to handle pops up we think oh, maybe I'll just leave it and it'll be better by tomorrow or it'll go away. Or we escalate it and we want someone to help us. So then we might go to someone else. I mean, I I know dealing with practice managers that they'll say to me, oh, I get that, you know, the GP partners are often popping into me saying Mm -hmm. I'm not getting on with. So, So they bear the brunt of it rather than there is a process where you know, GP partners can sit down and say, you know, this is what's not working. Each of them is popping into the practice manager saying, I'm not happy about this. And they're bearing the brunt of it. So in many workplaces, individuals will either sit on something or they'll escalate it by going and complaining to someone else, someone senior, or actually just complaining to other colleagues. They have what I call parallel conversations, or we all do that. You know, you have a bad day at work, you go home and complain to your partner at home and you just have had a horrible day so you take it elsewhere and you tell your story and that story gets embroidered and so on and so on so there's a process that we go through where you know the things that we're doing either escalating or having these parallel conversations is creating our own perception our own story of the situation which then gets bigger and bigger and then we justify that then we say right I know I'm absolutely I must be right you know I've sold that story now to all the people I've told it to so that's, that's where it starts really yeah and you can see that pattern happening where you sort of deny it's happening and then you start to talk to other people about it and then the more you talk to them the more the issue builds up in your mind and then it just sort of gains a life on its own so What do you suggest people do then instead of denying or delaying things? I think the first thing I have sort of three things I say, first of all, you've got to accept it, then you've got to acknowledge it, and then you've got to actively manage it. So there's those three stages. So the first acceptance is to say, look, you know, conflict is this normal thing. It's going to happen. We're not going to get on with everybody, particularly in the workplace. We haven't necessarily chosen our work colleagues, and there are bound to be people that being locked up all day with we don't necessarily rub along so well with so acknowledge that that's the case and have your own strategies for dealing with that if there's something that you think is genuinely a conflict that needs dealing with then you've got to say accept it yourself you know so accept that it's going to happen and then accept this is a situation I need to deal with not to sit on 
and then acknowledging what do I do about it? You know, am I denying it? You know, what, what are the what are the things? What are the issues? So I go through a process when I'm mediating. We have a process called solved by midnight. So we are generally dealing with something within 24 hours. And I want people to grab hold of that idea and say, actually, you don't need to think of a long process. You could actually resolve something within the space of a day if you manage to unpack it. So the key thing is to know what's this about you know what's the story behind it i'm telling myself a story but the other people involved might have a different story so what are our stories and um, what are the key issues what's this really about because sometimes when we're in conflict there's lots of other stuff going on for us and we've got to separate that out and say you know for example and, and you'll know as a doctor you know sometimes people have got stressful situations or they're dealing with grief or whatever and you've got to divide up you know what's the conflict between these people and what else is going on in this person's life and what are the key issues what are the things we really need to sort out and then what's our vision of the future what would a good outcome be and that's a question I find that people find very difficult to answer they'll go well I hate you know I'm really not happy and I'm not happy with the way things are and you say well what outcome would you like they say oh you got me there (laughs) don't really know so having a vision for what would be better what would help you know what would help resolve this for both people so you're going through a process of sort of working out what's the story what are the key issues what kind of outcome would I each of us like, you know, and then looking at the options. What, so what options are there that we could play with? What different ways of resolving this particular situation? What ideas could we throw into the pot or throw onto the table? And then having some criteria, some ideas for how you would analyse those, you know, some criteria that makes sense in terms of the context of your business or your life, you know, is it, is it about, you know, is finance more important or is life balance more important or, you know, what's important? So I go through a process with people to say, you know, what's most important to you? Sometimes who's most important to you? Because sometimes people are struggling with work-life balance. And when you say who is most important to you, they say, well, actually, you know, my children are most important to me and I'm not spending enough time at home. So that's causing the conflict. And there are often issues, both for men and women in the workplace these days, with not spending enough time at home and with their families. So those can be issues that interfere with workplace and with partnership and and with being responsible for a business. So that's the process, really. But being able to break things down into a process that you can go through and think, well, you know, there's actually a process for us to hear each other and hear each other's side and work out what really matters here. And then is there a solution or isn't there? Sometimes, most often, there's a workable solution. Sometimes two people just say, actually, having gone through all that, I just realised we can't work together. We don't. (laughs) And that's okay. It's much better to do that in a constructive way rather than have somebody sort of lodge a terrible grievance Mm. or or walk out or, you know, go off on long-term sick leave because they genuinely are very ill. Yeah. Having a constructive process that makes you face the reality. I I was looking at a quote from a, there's a book called Good to Great. I'm trying to find it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, um, good um, yeah, thingy what's it? Thingy what's it? <laughs> got a shelf. Oh God! Jim, Jim, Jim Collins. Jim Collins. There Jim you go. Collins. Jim Collins. Good to great. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, what are the brutal facts that we must face today? And it's about thinking, what are the brutal facts that are really 
interfering with my happiness at work, our productivity, our effectiveness as a business. And we must face those facts. It's easy not to, and it's easy to keep focusing on the day-to-day administrative stuff and what's the stuff we've got to get done today without looking a bit deeper and saying, but are we actually effective? Are we productive and are we happy? Yeah, and I think this is something that doctors, whether they be working in a sort of hospital department or GP partnerships or maybe other sorts of partnerships like lawyers or accountants, we're all really bad at because we sort of, tolerate stuff going on and then rather than deal with conflict head to head we try and get rid of the person in a different way so there'll have been a conflict going on which they just haven't dealt with and then suddenly that person does something wrong like gets a complaint or something like that and everyone goes oh yes well it's a fitness to practice issue and they'll then try and get rid of them through a different mechanism via the GMC or something like that when actually it's all about the conflict that's been festering for years and you know they even use these things called the, the green socks partnership clause have you heard of that? I haven't no So I've heard that there are some GP partnerships that have this green socks clause written into their partnership agreement, which says that if all the partners agree, you can get rid of another partner for any reason, just for the fact that they're wearing the wrong coloured socks. So it basically allows you to get rid of someone without really having to give a valid reason. And I think perhaps some partnerships use this as a way of resolving conflict that's just gone on and on for ages no one's addressed it and suddenly it's got to the point where they can't work together anymore and there you go use the green socks clause and that person gets well they get rid of them and certainly I've been asked to go into practices um, for team coaching where there's a conflict between a couple of people and the sole reason is to sort out that conflict and everybody knows about it, but they just haven't addressed it. Yeah, so it's, it's a question of being honest with ourselves and actually being honest with the other person because it isn't actually terribly kind to allow someone to keep on working in a situation where everybody's talking about them behind their back. No, no, no. And... I guess that's one of the biggest things you see. And we, we all do it without realising, you know, we when we're unhappy with something, whether it's a neighbour or somebody else in our family, our instinct is to sort of start talking about them behind their back. And that's the most dangerous thing in the workplace because that ends up creating this us and them situation. The, the tension, even if you think the other person doesn't know, they probably do know subconsciously. They've got this feeling in the pit of their stomach that, people I mean you just remember it go back to school when people weren't talking to you you just remember that feeling in the pit of your stomach oh you know things aren't happening around here you know things Mm -hmm. are I'm not fitting around here and it's much better to just deal with it and be honest and human about it and sometimes we just need to have a process so what I'm suggesting to to partnerships to organizations is that they into their working arrangements they write you know, a process, a conflict management process, something simple that they give a name that everybody knows that it exists. For example, I think the electricity board in Australia called their circuit breaker. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, very nice. <laughs> well, you know, give it a name, let people contribute to it, make it a thing that, you know, everybody knows, well, here's this thing. If I want to break the circuit, if I want to unlock the problem I'm allowed to trigger this process without having to go through a formal HR complaint so what I see happening a lot in workplaces is people instead of raising issues they're kind of writing them down in a little black book and storing them up you know rather like you say 
you know partners maybe storing up against another partner to say right now they've now they've finally broken the rules i'm going to to fire them but you know so people are storing these little black books and say right now i've got enough to take my a complaint to my manager but much better to have a process where you don't have to instigate these hr processes and do something early yeah. of course as we say you don't want people to be whining all the time and think oh i can I can lodge another complaint about Jean today. She was sucking sweets. I don't like the smell of <laughs> We've got to be um, sensible about it all. So I like that idea of actually building an agreement sort of within the organisation in which you work, sort of uh, solidifying it, saying, you know, we know we're going to have conflict here. And when it happens, let's have a, a process to deal with it and, you know, bring it out into the open when it happens rather than leaving it to fester. Because actually some conflict is good, isn't it? it? It means you get a diversification of ideas. It means that you can really debate topics and, and come out with the, the best things. And I know it's one of the Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, the, the lack of conflict, which really does cause problems for teams. And that sort of brings me back to the question, how do you get two people together to be able to raise something that they need to discuss without it getting really nasty, without their chimps coming out and, and attacking each other and and those of you that have not read the chimp paradox by steve peters i really recommend that book and it talks about what happens when we're in our threat zone and we get hijacked by our amygdala and, and things often can get a bit nasty so how can we create an environment where people can talk together about these really really difficult things without them getting really really upset there's a couple of things here. One I'm going to mention is what I call the emotional barometer. So, you know, one of the things we're afraid of is that people are going to become too emotional. And the, and the problem is that when emotions high, logic is low. So we're, you know, we don't, we're not operating sometimes on a, a logical basis. So the thing is to see, one of the things I talk about is effective confrontation. So how would you actually say to somebody something that they'd upset you? You know, supposing you know, you had a partner's meeting and one of your partners upset you in the meeting and you just didn't know or that all that was happening consistently. How would you do that without accusing the other person? So there's a, a process here for effective confrontation and it's just a three-step process, Rachel. So the first step is you say how you feel. So say how you feel, you know, what happened. Say so the specific action that the other person took, how did that make you feel? And then what's the potential impact? What's, what's the potential impact on you? What's the potential impact on your relationship? And then you just shut up, you stop. So instead of going on, repeating yourself, accusing the other person of something, you simply state how it was from your perspective. And then you stop and wait for their response. And if you don't get a response, you just say it again. You know, when you got up and walked out of the meeting yesterday, I don't know if you realise, but you made me feel completely humiliated and I'm really frightened that if I'm made to feel like that again, I won't be able to trust you and the respect that I have for you will be lost. And you give the other person just a chance to absorb that and think about it and, you know, maybe repeat it again and say, you know, I'm interested to know what you think. And that can be very powerful. Yeah, because it's not accusing, is it? It's no, not accusing at all. It's simply saying from my, happened. yeah, this happened and this is how it made me feel. And very often the other person will go, oh my God, I had no idea. I had no idea I did that. I didn't know you felt like that. And sometimes the reason you're feeling like that is perhaps not the other person, but perhaps you're oversensitive because you've had a bad day or something else is going on. You know, there can be lots of other things going on, but we tend to 
leap into accusing each other and then the other person will accuse you back and say oh don't be so stupid or don't be so so you're being really sensitive or it's always me isn't it or you know you see how these things escalate the other other thing I teach a lot of and I'm sure you do Rachel is is listening skills (laughs) Uh, and you know as professionals well as professionals we get some cursory training and you know particularly as doctors you do get training and how to listen to your patients but not necessarily and people say this to me and they say how do you deal with conflict at home with your spouse or your children I go well that's really hard and it's hard as well as a GP or a partner in a business because then you're personally involved it's then about you it's not about listening to somebody else is problem it's about how do I listen when this is about me and I'm being triggered and that's the hardest thing that we often don't either get training in or get enough practice. So I don't know what the stats are now, but I think that there was something that GPs used to interrupt after about 26 seconds or something. I think with all our communication skills training, it's gone up to about, I don't know, 40 or 50 seconds. But certainly we were all taught about the golden minute that if you just sit and listen to somebody for about a minute, then actually they will get everything out that they need to get out. And it's so, so important, isn't it? So you've already mentioned reflecting what someone said back to them. Um, Where do you think the place is for talking about what the story going on in your own head is? Because certainly in my work, when we talk about, you know, your amygdala response and, and how we get into our fight, flight or freeze zone and don't behave very well, we need to examine what the story in our own head is. So is it Am I thinking, oh, he just doesn't trust me. He's being really unreasonable here. They're all out to get me when actually that's not the case at all. So when is it a good idea to say to the person, well, hang on, this is a story in my head. What do you think? Is it right to do that just after you've listened? I'm going to say it depends, Rachel, because I think it always depends. It depends on the circumstances and the context and, and what the story is. You know, sometimes the story is a very long and involved story. And I think you need to take some time to prepare that story so in a when I'm mediating a legal dispute people literally write their stories down and they're often in the form of legal pleadings and they call them a position statement but they spend Mm -hmm. some time crafting that and they actually exchange those in writing before we meet so sometimes in some situations I would say write something down perhaps at least write something down so you can read it back to yourself or read it to someone else because I think if you're really genuinely going into a difficult meeting that you fear may not come out terribly well, thinking through, this is what I was going to say, how does it sound to you? Or how does it sound to me if I say it to myself, rather than just coming out with it, could be important. I think it is important to share your story, but with a proviso that just be aware how that comes across and what the impact of that might be on the other person. And you know, giving them time to have prepared their story as well. So if you're going to have a more formal meeting that maybe, you know, let's get this on the table, say, well, I'm going to write down my perspective on this. Would you like to do the same? Or I'd like to tell my perspective on this. Would you like to do the same? So you've both got an equal opportunity, both coming mm-hmm. from the same place. I guess it's about sort of being able to be empathetic to the other person of you, isn't it? Yes, and that's then where the listening comes in, because the temptation is if you're listening to someone else's story and if it's going on for quite a long time and you're hearing things you don't like, is that the temptation to interrupt to go, no, that's not right. Or, yeah. that, or you know, how dare you or whatever. Yeah. And actually, you've then got to be prepared to A, listen to the end of the story and then B, before you respond, reflect back. What was it I heard from the other person? Mm. What I just heard you say is, 
this is your story. You feel this, you feel that. Am I right? And to do that when you're triggered, it's really, really hard. <laughs> Never underestimate how hard it is, but never underestimate how powerful it is to actually listen to someone else's story without interrupting and then reflecting back before you say, did I get that right? Have I got everything you meant to tell me? And then it's your turn. And only then is it your turn. And that is the hardest thing to do and the most powerful thing to do. Yeah. I think I would just literally have to sit on my hands and <laughs> sellotape my, my mouth shut to do that. I mean, how do you teach people to do that? Well, we go through some, I, I have some great exercises, which we go through in the workshop that I run. It's called The Magic of Conflict. And it's really powerful. You make people do that. And actually, in most listening workshops, they don't do this simply uninterrupted listening. <laughs> I'd simply got to listen to the other person's story for as long as they go on. I'm not going to write any notes. I'm going to hold as much of it in my head as I can. And then I'm going to reflect about what I remember and then say, did I get that right? It's a very, very simple but difficult thing to do but so we, it's practice it genuinely is practice going over it when you know when you've got the opportunity to do it with, with friends and colleagues <laughs> so I'm just wondering so conflict builds up doesn't it so rather than delaying or denying it it's better to address it early so I'm just wondering is it ever better to just sweep stuff under the carpet to just sort of ignore some things that are bothering us because we don't really want to make the relationship worse. So in your experience, does it damage the relationship if you bring things up and address them? Or does it in fact make the relationship stronger? What do you think? I think, yeah, so I, I think you have got to draw this line between not encouraging people to sort of bring up minor things all the time and whining so we don't want we don't one of my speaker colleagues calls it you know a campaign against global whining <laughs> um, there is a temptation then to think for people to think oh I'm encouraged to bring up any little issue that I'm not happy with that's not what I'm saying you've got to you know that person has got to feel this is a an issue that's actually affecting me it's affecting my effectiveness at work my productivity or my uh, or my happiness my well-being and it's important because there are things that happen every day that we can just you know and, and we know and we know living at home with family that you know there are things that happen every day that you've somehow you've just got it's like my husband doesn't close the cupboard door when he takes the cereal out in the morning every day and you just think for goodness sake you know there are things that you have to live with and just think, well, that's that other person's quirkiness. It's just the way they are. They don't see it. Or, and then there are things that matter. And it's being able to make that distinction. Is this something that really matters to me or to them or to all of us as a, as a practice or doesn't it? And that would be for different people. You know, some people might say, I can't bear this anymore. You know, like your patient, I can't, I can't sit next to this person anymore. But it's not something we should be interrupting our working day with every time we have a little niggle. I guess you've got to ask yourself, do I value the person and this relationship enough to speak up? Because if I just ignore it and let it fester, then eventually I'll probably end up avoiding that person. And it will affect the relationship long term, whether I've spoken up or not. And, you know, certainly it's, it's difficult to say things to people, you know, in the context of, you know, little things that annoy you but sometimes you know they will build up they'll build up to bigger things if you don't if you don't tackle them and I think for all workplaces and families even it's about your values and I, I guess it's something I find that 
practices don't or businesses generally don't do a lot of work on is what are our core values as a practice as a business you know what are the values that are important to us and that we expect everybody to uphold every day in the way they behave towards each other and those can be a good criteria to go back to when you're determining whether you've got a conflict and how you might resolve it. It's interesting this because I remember you saying earlier on that sort of one person might be very sort of financially motivated while another person might be motivated by getting a better work-life balance and so what do you do if those two people are in a conflict? How do you find a resolution when they've actually got completely different values? How do you resolve that then? Well, I think the key thing is to get that out because I think, you know, that certainly there's a case study that comes from a real partnership that I've worked uh, with in, in, in one of the books that I wrote, which is about that. You know, it's about a female partner coming back to work, working part time. Her family has become, you know, equally important to her. You know, a male colleague is criticising her commitment to the practice and saying, you know, he's more interested in finance. So we've got that situation, that tension. But I mean, I think part of the thing is being clear about that. You know, actually, these are the things that matter to us. Once you've got that on the table and she's saying, well, work-life balance does matter to me. And he or the other partners are saying, but actually finance matters to us. Then you've got to look and say, well, you know, what can we do with those differing values or those differing needs, really? There's a pyramid that we that we use when we're doing conflict resolution, which looks at the top, which is positions at the top on either side. Each party's got their positions. This is what I believe, strongly believe, and this is why I believe I'm right. Then underneath, you've got what are my needs and interests? And the fundamental needs are the thing you've got to dig down to say, well, what do we really need? What do I need as an individual? What do we need as a group of individuals? And therefore, what are the things that we could do to fulfil those needs as much as possible? And what are the things that just wouldn't work? Yeah, so that's the interest-based relational model, isn't it, from the book Getting to Yes? And we teach that on our Redwell Lead Manage Thrive course, actually, when we teach about negotiation. So fundamentally, it's about drilling down to those needs, which actually pretty much are generally the same because we're all human, aren't we? And we often have very, very similar needs. And it's a really, really powerful approach. It's interesting to hear that, Rachel, because I've got another exercise that I do with people where we drill down and I put them on opposing sides of an argument. But by the time we've got to this exercise of looking at needs, you're right, most people's basic human needs are exactly the same. By the time you've drilled right down to that level, you know, we all want to be confident, we want to be secure, we want to be able to look after our families, we want to be able to put food on the table. Those things are basic human needs and we're driven to those in different ways, really. So how can a practice, if you've got a meeting or two people in conflict, how do they drill down to those needs together? I think by having, uh, you know, an awareness of these models and to be able to think, you know, where are we trying to get to? You know, I'm trying to understand it. And then and once you know where you're trying to get to through the act of listening. So one of the things I encourage people to do is when they're listening to someone's story, trying to identify what's coming out to you in that story. Because if you've got the female partner with her family, her perspective on that story will be family based. So you'll be able to say, you know, it sounds like spending more time with your family is important to you. Is that right? So being able to acknowledge that and she'll either say yes or she'll say, no, you're completely wrong. But, you know, doing that sort of listening and reflecting and asking 
will help you to drill down to that level about what what is this really about for this person you know and asking even that question you know what, what is it that matters most to you what matters most to you in this situation or what matters most to you in this or or, or that question you know what outcome would be the best outcome for you and mm. when the person answers or the or several people answer you, you can see where is it they would like to get to and can people do this for themselves or do they need to have an external facilitator or mediator to help them i think many times if they've had the training and they've got a process embedded in their organization they can do it themselves that's really where i'm trying to get organizations to is to think think about this as as a healthy process for your organization but one that needs some strategic thinking it's you know it should be part of your business strategy it should be part of your systems like you have a financial system you have it should have a conflict management system like you have a strategy meeting you should have a conflict management meeting build it in so that it's normal have some training and one of the things I'm doing is setting up sort of online training so that people have got resources they can go back to or some things that they don't need me there but they've got some resources where they can refer to things and think oh this is the process we're trying to go through and sometimes you know things have got to a point where they're deadlocked and they do need a third party to come in Mm -hmm. and then again you know that is cheaper than plowing on with <laughs> with oh, an yeah. ineffective situation so you know both I think that three things I suppose you know make the time to to build this process in have the training for all your staff hopefully manage then most things that come up on your own and then know where to go if you need someone so what three top tips would you suggest, say, if, if someone's got to go to work and there's an issue that they need to raise, which may well turn into a conflict with someone, what would you suggest for them? Think about not denying it. Think about being clear about these things. You know, what, what's this really about? What outcome do I want? And what are the key issues for me? But also then thinking, I need to explore what this is about for the other person. So, you know, knowing that, the way I see things is just the way I see things. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know how the other person sees things mm-hmm. and let that curiosity drive the way you explore things rather than I need to get my point across. Let me hear what their point is. Mm-hmm. Again, hard to do, but easy to say. But those things and then, you know, just bear in mind this, this need to listen first. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. <laughs> yeah. And approach it with curiosity. I love that. Absolutely. Yes, I've got a quote on my board here, which says fervent curiosity. What does it say? Fervent curiosity is more important than specialised knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, try telling that to some of the specialists who work at my local hospital. So thank you, Jane. That's really, really helpful. Because often when I'm asked to do training and at courses, people often come up and ask about conflict. It's something that we all find so difficult, no matter what stage of life we're at, no matter what level of professional attainment we have. You know, it's something that we all have to face into. So it's really great to have some sort of concrete actions and some quick wins that that people can do to make things better. So if there's people out there that would like some help resolving a conflict or if people wanted to contact you, how can they find you? So, yes, I do do training, you know, and I specifically help people set up these systems in their organisations and do sort of short training courses to help them manage that. So my website is janegun.co.uk and I'm contactable by that. And also uh, your listeners might be interested in, I'm releasing a mini video. So to try and get people thinking in the right mindset, a mini video every week comes out 
which could be, I'm looking at it as a way for businesses, you know, when they have a, a partner's meeting or a meeting, they could just have a, it's like two minutes, but it could be a trigger for conversation every week is let's look at Jane's video and see what that triggers. So it's called Solved by Midnight on the theme of getting these conflicts solved in 24 hours. So that, if people are interested in that, it's again, it's janegun.co.uk, then slash, then solved hyphen by hyphen midnight slash, and you can sign up. But I could, I could send you a link, Rachel, which you could send out with this podcast. That's it. I will put it in the show notes and I'm sure there'll be lots of people signing up, up to look. So that's brilliant. Jane, there, there's so much more I want to ask you. And I think we could say, <laughs> so will you come back another time and we'll I talk more you. about it? Thank you. That's brilliant. So thank you so much. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.